All right, now we're going to hear a school report from little Timmy on why he'd like to be president. Go ahead, little Timmy. Uh, thank you, Miss Sandoval. It'd be great. Uh, so yes, it's true. I would like to be president. One day, I think that would be super swell. Because my whole life, my parents have been teaching me about something called consequences. As in the consequences of my own actions. As in, if I do something bad, something bad will probably happen to me. However, having learned from history, I have recently realized that there is one job with zero accountability. That is president. I would most like to be president of the United States of America. This way I will be absolved of all, of all the things that I do wrong. And people will focus on bullshit. Timmy, I'm sorry, on malarkey. Like what the gas prices were when I was president. Even if it has nothing to do with my policies. I will easily be able to get away with things like war crimes, having sex with people, saying rude things on television, and possibly even grooming my adopted, <coughs> adopted daughter into being my future wife. What? Grover Cleveland did it. Don't look at me. I think there are lots of other great things that I could be spared of the consequences of. Like, George H.W. Bush never got in trouble for the School of Americans. Which sounds like a great thing, but it was really about murdering brown people. Obama killed a bunch of people with drone strikes. There are plenty of very good upstanding presidents. Yeah, that's what people say. But even George Washington lied about chopping down a cherry tree to prove he was honest. Not only that, but he also attempted to defraud the Port Authority and rob the government. Now, to be fair, that was before we were the United States of, of America, so I don't know if it counts. I, I, I... Not only that, but Andrew Jackson killed a lot of people, and he got to have his face on the money. I think that's pretty great. What I'm saying is I would like to be president. Because I'm real tired of the actions of the consequences of my actions catching up with me. Hell, George W. Bush gets to be a painter. And he's he literally can't leave the country without going to jail. Timmy, I, I I think I think that's I think that's enough. Okay, but hold on. I have that I've got a lot more war crimes I've got to go over here. Timmy, I really think you should sit down. Are, are you saying that right now, I'm, if I don't stop reading this, that there will be consequences for my actions? Yes, that's what I'm saying. So in conclusion, if I were president, I could keep reading this report. Ruin Uncut. Uh, I'm here with my guest today, Brandon Meeker, playing a game called 
We'll see how this sounds when I'm editing it. <laughs> yeah. But get a little uh, spirited. But so yeah. Uh thank you for uh well thank you for joining me here, Brandon. Uh how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Uh slightly less well than I was before the start because I received word that the record I was supposed to pick up today got delayed for the third time. Oh lame. What record were you gonna pick up? Do it yourself by the seahorses. They were a so do you know the Stone Roses? Uh no. I don't know either of those bands. The Stone Roses was kind of like the blueprint band for bands like Oasis and Blur and Fur and Verve and all those sort of Britpop bands in the nineties. Okay. Um Stone Roses did the first album of the Manchester Sound, which is kind of what they all took from. And a very very like classic acclaimed album called the stone roses and the stone roses second album did not live up to the very lofty expectations of their first so they uh disbanded and the guitarist for the stone roses john squire um got together just a band of people he found in clubs and stuff like that and they made an album called do it yourself and it is insanely good i highly recommend it to anyone who is a brit pop fan um I personally think it is the best album of any Britpop band, and it is their only album because, once again, the second album curse strikes them. Uh, they didn't like their second album, and they were fighting too much, so they just quit. And the album went uh, the first uh, <clears throat> the first album went unre-released until this year. Wow! So, and it's a, it's for the 25th anniversary, but uh, I'm not getting it apparently. So. Well, you're not getting it today. No. I I Uh, might just go to Square Records in any case. All right. Uh, Well, um, one of the reasons I had Brandon on here today uh, is that Brandon is a a fan of the history. Mm -hmm. He's a big uh, history buff kind of guy. I'm so big a fan of history. I spent thousands of dollars to get a piece of paper that says I'm a fan of history from a collegiate institution. <laughs> oh, I understand. You're describing your degree. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm describing the degree that I have. Okay. Uh, all right, excellent. And um, I specifically want to ask you about some history of the presidents of the United States of America. That That is my bread and butter. All right. I love presidential history. So right, let's start out with some general questions. Yeah. Um, who do you think... Who would you say are some of the um, the better presidents? Well, the better presidents, I would put At on that list. In your choice, when you your when you think of best presidents, I mean you you. The argument here is that no president is truly good, because mm-hmm. in the modern U.S., foreign policy is a highly complex uh, department of you know issues that often leads one way or another. Uh, into war crimes and other morally gray and often just plain morally bad decisions. Other presidents such as, such as George, both George Bush's and Reagan and Nixon have fallen prey to this intentionally. Some presidents have fallen prey to this unintentionally. Um, so I feel like the sort of people who kind of found themselves in situations kind of can get a better rap. So when you look at 
better presidents, uh, I find it easier to look at sort of what they did domestically. Um, so, for instance, Theodore Roosevelt, I think, is our best domestic president. Okay. Uh, Lyndon Johnson is also way, way up there. Harry Truman, way, way up there. Um, I would not say, I would, I mean, any modern when you, president. When you make exceptions for war crimes, these are who we're I, what I, yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, no president is, is innocent, which is why it's such a kind of a difficult question. Um, but I mean, you look, you look at their accomplishments, you know, Theodore Roosevelt was kind of a big champion in civil rights and social reform. He was the first president to campaign on universal health care, for instance. I mean, he founded the Progressive Party uh, in 19, all the way back in 1912. He, he campaigned on women's suffrage and um, Jim Crow abolition and universal health care and all that. He was big. I mean, everyone knows he was a big union guy, but I mean, like, you know, one of my favorite TR stories is when he threatened to nationalize the coal union because they would or the, the coal industry because they wouldn't listen to their unions. And when they called his bluff, uh, he had the executive order drawn up and ready to sign. Your your audio is getting a little warbly. Is it? That's not good. It's the coal industry out to get me. (laughs) Well, Uh, I I think uh, so far you've mentioned a lot of things I actually wasn't aware about uh, with Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah. uh, uh, And pretty cool but when you when you look at modern presidents i mean lyndon johnson obviously big champion in civil rights um he he pushed through all of the major civil rights legislation ending jim crow in a fashion that john f kennedy wasn't prepared to do um you know you can even look at bill clinton who is rife with his own problems and i will give that man zero credit that he is uh not due but he did get rid of the national debt which was something that was an achievement and then uh, George Bush brought it right back where it started. So really, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> There's a so not not many effects felt from that, but he did it nonetheless. Back in the in the good old days, you know, the nineties. Yeah, the good old days of of uh, war crimes. Yeah, that uh, weren't all, on social media. They were all doing and speak. So you know what? Speaking of war crimes, here's my hot take. Um, Barack Obama, uh, people gave him too much credit. Okay. I, I, I feel like, again, domestically, he was a fine president. He missed a lot of opportunities to make things a lot better. Uh, you know, e.g. Obamacare could have been a lot more expansive. Um, you know, he could have been much, much, much quicker on the ball with gay marriage. Um, I mean, DACA was definitely an achievement, but there was another half to DACA that he allowed to be stricken down, um, that, that protected parents. Uh, and yeah, there was the whole bombing Syria and Yemen into complete oblivion, you know, hitting civilians and hospitals and then sort of falling on, man, did I do that kind of thing? So that's, that wasn't cool. Yeah. And also, did you hear... You remember his 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 birthday party during like the height of the pandemic? Actually, you know what? It was his uh, it was his sixtieth. It was this past year in twenty twenty one. He was inviting all sorts of celebrities as well as aides and like longtime political allies and people like that. But when 
when COVID restrictions started getting bad due to Delta, uh, he shortened the guest list to only include celebrities and not any of the people he had worked with for years. And years. Oops. I hope you froze up there for a second. But uh, Oh, did I? Yeah, but... Uh, did you hear me what... talk about how Obama com- uh, blacklisted the people that he uh, worked with for years and years from his birthday party? No, I did hear that part. Um, I will yeah. say, like, you know, if you're having a party, who would you rather hang out with, celebrities or people you work with? I mean... <laughs> well, here's the thing. If you're you and me, mm-hmm. uh, probably, you know, celebrities, sure. But if you're the president... Mm-hmm. And everything you do is constantly scrutinized by the media. Um, might be a smarter move to, you know, maybe not shut out everyone who has built you up to this position over the past 20 years. That's fair. And in all honesty, I probably would choose to go to the work party over the celebrity party. But that's only because I'm nervous around new people. True. Especially if that new people is like Beyonce. Yeah. And, uh, you know. Who else is famous? Uh, Tom Cruise, I believe, is famous. Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is famous now too. He's a he's a hot topic. Yeah, no, he's always got uh, new. Mo- Apparently, uh, people are really excited about uh, Top Gun. It's a movie I'm not really interested in seeing, but the reviews are so good. I'm like, do do I need to see this? I always enjoy seeing clips of. Of Tom Cruise jumping out of planes and diving into shark-infested waters and all the rest. Um, I'm more interested for this movie. I'm more interested in Val Kilmer, to be honest, and how they treat him. Because he is in the movie. In the tra- he, he, he appears as a photograph in the trailers. Uh, word on my street is that he has a scene with Tom Cruise. So I wonder how they uh, handle his lack of a voice. It's a good question. Um, speaking of, uh, have you seen, I don't know if this is your cup of tea or not, but have you seen Jane Mm. Silent Bob, the reboot? No, no, I don't, I I haven't seen any of the Jane Silent Bob, but I know of it. Well, uh, Val Kilmer does appear in, uh, in Jane Silent Bob, the reboot. Oh. And he, uh, he plays the, so the concept of Jane Silent Bob the reboot is that Hollywood has gotten the copyrights to Jane Silent Bob's uh, comic book characters, uh, Bluntman and Chronic. Mm-hmm. They're going to reboot them because there was a previous movie called Jane Silent Bob Strikes Back, which was about them going to Hollywood to stop them making the Jane Silent Bob movie. Uh, but in the reboot... Um, Val Kilmer plays uh, the the movie version of Silent Bob. That's that's pretty funny. Or I should say <laughs> I'm glad he has Bob a sense of humor Blunt about it. He plays the movie version of Blunt Man, who is a cross between Batman and Silent Bob. Yeah. So that I thought. Oh yeah, we're talking about. We were talking, we're talking about, about presidents. presidents. Yeah, <laughs> movies. As is, as is, I want to do, but um, yeah. Okay, so it's one, it's, it's one of it's your hard, many fun features. It's hard to pick out the good presidents because it's because they're all a little bit morally gray. Um, like yeah, and that's and that's due to circumstance. You know, I mean, it's just the nature of the job that you will end up making terrible, bad decisions. Yeah, and that's why anyone who runs for president is a psychopath. <laughs> but so, who are the worst presidents? Oh, the worst presidents. Well, 
<clears throat> obvious your obvious choices are going to be Donald Trump and Andrew Jackson and Richard Nixon and all them big names. However, there are a couple that's flying under the radar and some even give a lot of credit to uh, incorrectly. Um, for one, one person that kind of does make the worst list a lot is James Buchanan. Um, yeah, he, cause he, he was president right before the civil war and he was a big, uh, indecisive mess. Um, he, uh, he, you know, he, uh, saw the South kind of getting all rubble rousy. He saw the things going on in Kansas with American hero, John Brown. And he decided not to act because he did not want to sway this the, the country one way or the other. Um, and that indirectly led to the Civil War because uh, he refused to do anything about it. And um, a couple slots before him was Millard Fillmore, and he was the guy responsible for the Fugitive Slave Act. Um, he, was, he, he set the stage for a lot of the stuff that happened in the 1850s, like bleeding Kansas, stuff like that. But also he was just like a horrendously bigoted person. Um, he was your usual stuff for the 1850s. You know, he was racist and homophobic and misogynist. Um, he also uh, hated Catholics. Oh. Uh, he hated Jews. Um, he hated, I mean, you essentially like KKK type guy. He ended up founding a party called the Know Nothing Party, uh, which was just for bigoted people. For clarity, the Know Nothing Party is that no spelled K N O W? Correct. Oh, okay. correct. The yeah, no when the Whig party, party, when the Whig Party dissolved, and Millard Fillmore was a Whig, I believe. Um, yeah, I believe. Uh, there were a lot of factions that split many different ways. One of those factions turned into the Republican party that we all know and love today. Um, but the know nothing party, uh, I don't, I don't know if Miller Fillmore founded it, but he was one of the first members and he did run for president on its ticket. Um, he, the know nothing party was kind of seen as a joke party. Uh, I mean, it be, sounds because like yeah, no one took it seriously, but it was full of like, the most horrendously bigoted people on earth uh, who, who just wanted to drive this country to like be the next Rome kind of what it sounded like. They just, they just hated anyone who was not white and male or Protestant. Damn. James Buchanan. What the fuck? Nah, that was Millard Fillmore. James oh, Buchanan. No, no, you're right. Okay. Fun fact. James Buchanan was most likely gay. Oh, yeah, he lived with uh, Franklin Pierce's vice president um, for much of his adult life, and uh, he died. His 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 partner died before him, and when he did die, uh, Buchanan wore black for many days and entered a period of mourning. He never married. Uh, his niece was the was the unofficial first lady, and. Um, it's further propagated by the homophobic nicknames that Andrew Jackson gave uh, the pair. Uh, he called he called James Buchanan um, Miss Nancy, and he called his partner Aunt Fancy. Wow. Yes. But do you want to know the worst president, in my opinion, in my own historical opinion? Sure. 
Woodrow Wilson. Fuck Woodrow Wilson. He is responsible, directly or indirectly, for every woe and ill of the 20th century. Wow. Yeah. And he was also... Well, here's the thing. Domestically, horrendous bigot. He he resegregated the federal government uh, after, you know, 40-odd years of it being integrated. Uh, the, he, he showed the first movie at the White House, that being Birth of a Nation. Uh, he showed it many times. So just to make sure I understand he, this, you're saying yes. that the U.S. government was racially integrated until Woodrow Wilson came to power? During Reconstruction Era, it was desegregated um, because Washington, D.C. was technically based in the North. Um, I think it might have been Ulysses S. Grant who who uh, desegregated it because Ulysses S. Grant was a chill guy like that. Um, but yes, it was it was integrated for a time and Woodrow Wilson resegregated it. Wow. Yeah. Uh, when he met with African dignitaries, he would fervently wash his hand afterwards and like call them all sorts of like dirty and unkempt and all that. Um, Jesus. On the on the sort of Latin American side, he founded the kind of interventionism we still use today. You know, all those stories of the CIA invading different countries and installing new governments. You know what that's called officially? That what? doctrine? Wilsonian interventionalism. Wow. Yes, he felt that... Uh, it was kind of hypocritical because he refused to enter World War One until 1917 when literally everyone was screaming at him to do it. Um, he felt that Europeans could work out democracy for themselves, but the stupid brown people to the South needed help. Um, so during Wilson's time, we invaded Guatemala, I believe, Colombia, and Nicaragua for the first time. Wow. Yeah. And uh, on the front of World War I, there is an alternate history hub video about this, but his reluctance to enter World War I can, uh, can be traced as the one of the root causes of the rise of Nazism and communism and the Great Depression. Wow. Uh, yeah, because the reason Russia fell out of World War I was because it was having a revolution at, at the time. And it couldn't financially support both the fight at home and the fight abroad. Um, and eventually it fell because the government just had no money. They'd spent it all on the war. Um, so, if the, so if the U.S. had entered in 1915, uh, when American citizens were killed on the Lusitania, Russia could have withdrawn a little bit and focused more resources on fighting the Russian Revolution. Who knows if the Tsar would still be in power? Probably not. But uh, the Bolshevik Revolution probably would not have happened. Uh, and communism definitely would not have been the global sort of superpower that it was. And uh, consequently, Adolf Hitler could not use the fear of Bolsheviks in Munich and Berlin to sort of give his Nazi party a bit of political clout because he used uh, little Bolshevik insurrections in those cities as, as excuses to be like, oh, look at what the Bolsheviks are doing. They're conspiring with the Jews. We got to stop them. And he just spent, uh, he spent the next 10 years sort of operating on that fear. And then he became chancellor of Germany. And we all know how that worked out. 
Didn't he blame and the uh, burning of the Reichstag on communists? He did. He did. It was the Bolsheviks' fault. Uh, Bolsheviks and Jews. Those were the two enemies in, in Germany. Uh, and then in terms of the Great Depression, this one is kind of has a lot of people to blame. Uh, Woodrow Wilson had uh, installed, you know, he didn't, um, but he entered World War One very late. We ended it, you know, we, we, we went in there and, and helped uh, the Allies fight back Germany. But because we entered so late, England and France were already like almost decimated. You know, very little usable farmland, a lot of injured people. So the so Wilson um, mandated that U.S. farmers produce uh, more product than usual so that they could send that overseas to help Europe rebuild. And Europe rebuilt a lot faster than we expected. So this, this, uh, this program was under the supervision of Herbert Hoover, who was president during the Great Depression. Um, but he was also Secretary of Commerce at that time. So he oversaw this program where all of a sudden there was a lot of food here that wouldn't be bought by Europe, can't be bought here because we already had food for us. And it was not the kind of food we could store in a surplus. It was, it was going to go bad. Um, so that was the first domino that led to the stock market crash because the price of food dropped so drastically because there was just so much of it that farming became kind of unsustainable. Uh, as a profession. Wow. So, yeah, it was a, uh, yeah, not, not, not a good time for the agriculture industry. Uh, and yeah, Woodrow Wilson, um, kind of the indirect root cause of that. Fuck him. Fun. So, so now I think I understand a weird, like trivia thing about Woodrow Wilson though, which is, um, there was a book series from the 70s, which, uh, while a fictional book series is frequently cited by conspiracy theorists, it was called like um, mm. the Illuminatus Trilogy or something. It's like where most of what you hear about the Illuminati comes from. Uh, but, one of, but one of the things it talks about in there is actually like, a, is that Woodrow Wilson was meant to be connected to um, this thing, uh, to the Illuminati, because... At the time that Woodrow Wilson was in power, um, the Illuminati didn't think the Republicans were uh, were strong enough at that point, according to this book. So they went with Interesting. Woodrow Wilson. Yeah, and Woodrow Wilson was a Democrat. Um, but uh, yeah, Wilson got his just desserts. Though. I don't want you to worry about you know him getting off scot free. He had shortly after World War One ended, um, he had a debilitating stroke and spent the last years of his presidency and life in and out of comas and unable to speak or move or, you know, communicate clearly. So his wife ended up being the unofficial first female president uh, because she would hide his condition and make all his decisions for him. Sounds to me like the Illuminati got to him. I'm kidding. Yeah. Uh, ah, ah, ah. One big thing I didn't mention. Um, that probably more of a contribution to Germany's uh, turn to Nazism than, than the Bolsheviks. Woodrow Wilson had the power to not make the Treaty of Versailles so horrendously one-sided because Germany was ruined by the Treaty of Versailles. 
I mean, I, you know, a common historical thing where they had to pay for the entirety of the war and also have no army and, you know, all that jazz. You know, Germany's economic devastation uh, was a chief contributor to its turn to Nazism. Woodrow Wilson had the power to calm Europe down, but he was super interested in his 14 points of world peace and his League of Nations that he didn't end up joining, um, that he decided to sit out much of the treaty talks so that he could have so that um, he could have the position to promote this, you know, sort of globalization stuff. Um, and the League of Nations obviously failed. Uh, because the U.S. decided not to join it. And the 14 points um, were ridiculous. And everyone except Woodrow Wilson was laughing at them. But, uh, yeah, then he had a stroke and didn't uh, didn't really know what he was doing or going on until he died. He had a, it's possible he had some strokes earlier and people just didn't catch on to it. And that's why the 14 points he wrote were ridiculous. Maybe. I mean, it was just very sort of you know, putting the U.S. up on a pedestal as like the world peacekeeper, uh, you know, being like, ah, countries shall not fight like this. Countries shall share. Countries shall, you know, help each other. The League of Nations shall help countries do this and achieve world peace. And then the League of Nations collapsed in on itself. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's my Woodrow Wilson rant. All right. It's it's good to know. Good old yeah. Woodrow Wilson. And anyone who uh, celebrates Woodrow Wilson apparently doesn't know uh, a lot about Woodrow Exactly. Or they're horrendously racist people. That's going around these days. Yeah. Or, they're ac- or they're academic pricks because he was president of Princeton University. Uh, I... So he's, he's the college man's president, which, uh, you know, that reflects not poor. cool. That reflects poorly on college men. Exactly. You'd think the frats would have done it, but nope. Woodrow Wilson. So, um, so recently, I've, I uh, I found out that uh, Grover Cle- I think it was Grover Cleveland, apparently like like married his adopted ward in the White House. Yes, yes, he did. Uh, his friend, I. Uh, forget the name, it starts with an O, um, had a daughter when Grover Cleveland was a young man. And Grover Cleveland doted on this little girl from the moment she was born. Mm-hmm. You know, a, kind of a godfather, goddaughter yeah. situation. Um, and when he was president, he, he married this girl. She was, I, she was either late teens, early 20s. Yeah, and he was like 21 or something when they actually got married. Yeah, and he was a grown adult man. And they had children together in the White House. And if you think that was a scandal, uh, Grover was Cleveland a was embroiled. Did the people freak out about it? It is a current scandal. A current uh, scandal. I don't think people much cared back in the day. But you know what they did care about? Uh, Grover Cleveland... Uh, at the time, allegedly, fathered a bastard. That I'd heard about that, yeah. Yeah, and that was the big scandal that embroiled him. There were big attack ads. Uh, an anti-Cleveland slogan was, uh, Ma, Ma, where's my pa? And then pointing to a poster of Grover Cleveland for president. But, uh, yeah, so that was his big scandal. 
Grover Cleveland has a very interesting presidency because it's just full of weird anecdotes like that. He had cancer in his mouth at one point, like like a big gross tumor on the roof of his mouth. But uh, and it was very easily re- removable. It wasn't uh, it wasn't progressed or anything like that. But he did not want to affect his mustache because he didn't want people to see he was ill. So they couldn't they couldn't go through his his face to get at it. Um, so what he did was he went on a boat with a team of doctors and they sailed out. Um, they sailed out so that they wouldn't be spotted by any sort of anyone. And they performed the surgery without anesthetic through his mouth so that they would not touch the, the they wouldn't touch the stash. <laughs> wow. That's dedication to a mustache. My God. Yeah. Have- he, he didn't he didn't want people to know uh, he he was sick so he had a tumor cut out of his cut out of, of his mouth roof of his mouth while no anesthetic awake. no she- anesthetic no sleep on a boat in the middle of the water man that's Grover Cleveland <laughs> yeah he was was an interesting guy yeah he, he was yeah a storied residency you know two non-consecutive terms silly little quirk in u.s history that benjamin frank or benjamin frank benjamin harrison was kind of squeezed in the middle there wow grover Cle- grover cleveland and now everybody- other than those little anecdotes he's not a very uh effective president he's kind of well, a middling kind of forgotten one. It's hard to be president when you hate Mondays. You know, it's just huh. <laughs> talking about Cle- uh, Garfield. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, no, my I'm bad. Sure, Brain went. I'm weird. sure Garfield hated the Mondays in which he was suffering from being shot and probed by his idiot doctor, which I think is one of the funniest uh, presidential anecdotes. Yes, tell us about President Garfield. Oh, my God. Well, here's the thing. James Garfield was on his way to being like maybe one of our best presidents because he had big plans on social reform. Everything that Chester Arthur did on um, ending the spoils system and getting rid of corruption in the U.S. government, James Garfield was going to do. And he was probably going to have more success at it because people didn't really like Chester Arthur because he was embroiled in all that corruption before he became vice president. Um, he had a change of heart after Garfield died, is what they say. But James Garfield was president for nine months, and he was doing all this good shit. And uh, this guy, Charles Guiteau, um, who had been kicked out of many communes because no one wanted to have sex with him, uh, he, he just kept pestering him for a job, and Garfield kept saying no. So in a train station in New Jersey, Guiteau shot him in the back. And... Um, he didn't aim well because Garfield was fine. Garfield, I mean, he was shot, but he was shot non-fatally. He was conscious on the train station floor. He was conscious on the ride back to the White House. But his um, the attending physician, who they kind of just scooped up from town, he was uh, one of Garfield's friends, his name was Dr. Willard Bliss. The doctor was his first name. Uh, and he was also a doctor by profession. But he wanted to be the only one in charge of the president because that has a sort of power to it. So he made all sorts of terrible, terrible decisions 
like blistering Garfield in order to treat the infection that he caused by probing around in the entry wound with unwashed fingers. Um, uh, Alexander Graham Bell came in with a metal detector. It was a, a prototype. It was before it had been officially invented. Um, and Alexander Graham Bell scanned the right side of his body. It blipped due to a malfunction, but Dr. Doctor was so convinced that the bullet was there that he sent Graham Bell away, but the bullet was on the left side. So Graham Bell was about to examine the left side. They would have found the bullet and have been able to remove it. Garfield probably still would have died because he still had a major infection. But uh, Dr. Doctor was convinced from that little blip that that's where the bullet was. Um, and yeah, Garfield died in agony because uh, his team of morons uh, gave him like a fatal blood infection. Good Lord. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was it was bad. Wow. So Dr. Doctor is remembered as one of one of history's great idiots. Now, the question is, was he really a great idiot? Or did someone, you know, slip him some money to stop those reforms? No, I'm kidding. I'm speculating wildly. But <laughs> Yeah. Well, the the common theory is that germ theory wasn't around yet, so they couldn't have possibly have known that inserting dirty rusty instruments into a wound would cause an infection but it's funnier to say that he was an idiot um which he kind of was because he still was kind of having that weird power obsession mm -hmm. that comes with being the president's doctor he wasn't the president's official doctor but he was the one who was there so he took command and, and did not let the actual doctor see garfield mm -hmm. so we we figured out a metal detector before we figured out washing our hands. Amazing yeah. Human race. Amazing. Uh, great technical minds. Not much common sense. <laughs> Amazing. So. A personal president that I think is responsible for a lot of uh, bullshit. Mm. Uh, is uh, Ronald Reagan. Yeah, no, Reagan was kind of the worst. I, you, you mentioned that Woodrow Wilson created all the problems of the 20th century, but I think Ronald Reagan may have created a lot of the problems we have right now. Well, here's my hot take. I think Reagan is marginally so, but still less responsible than Richard Nixon. Okay. Um, because a lot of the problems we have today in the political sphere is because we have transformed from a class-based sort of field into a values-based sort of field, which on its own is not necessarily a bad thing. But what, what had happened was, and Ronald Reagan was heavily involved in this, there was kind of a brainwashing campaign in the later years of the Vietnam War when Richard Nixon was president. Um, and he and Reagan colluded heavily on this because Reagan was governor of California at the time. And California was Nixon's home state. So they were, you know, they, you know, they were tight on this. Um, but the White House and the Republican Party kind of brainwashed a lot of the blue collar workforce who were either going to fighting in or came back from Vietnam. Uh, they brainwashed them into thinking that it was the left's fault that they fought uh, and died and were suddenly poor 
And that wasn't helped by the energy crisis. That wasn't helped by the increased political strife that came with Watergate. Um, but yeah, since a lot of uh, a lot of the people who protested the Vietnam War were college students, and college students didn't have to go to Vietnam because they weren't drafted because their parents were rich enough to tell the government not to draft them. So they had the luxury to go to college and learn about all the injustices that were happening in Vietnam. And they were the ones able to sit on college campuses and protest and be shot by the National Guard. Um, but the blue collar workforce that was coming back from Vietnam weren't here to see that. They just saw people protesting what they believed in. Uh, and Richard Nixon took that opportunity to say, oh, it's not our fault that, that you got sent there. It's not our fault that you're poor. It's not our fault that your friends and family are dying and are suffering. It's their fault. They are callous to your feelings and to your experience. And they took the bait and it's been an ongoing fight. And part of that is to do with um, kind of a generational shift in values uh, that came with the Great Depression and the boom of the 50s, where boomers grew up with parents who were very economically minded because they had grown up in the Depression. And then boomers came of age in a very economically prosperous time. So they taught their kids, um, which ended up being sort of uh, younger Gen X, older millennial type folks, um, you know, different values because they had economic security. And then by the time the 70s rolled around, boomers had gotten burnt out because of the energy crisis and the failing economy and all the political strife and Vietnam and all that. Um, so the that sort of stage that was set up in the 50s by the economic situation was sort of intensified by that. Um, and yeah, Nixon had a lot to do with that. Reagan had a lot to do with that. And Reagan definitely enhanced that mega big time by sort of inventing the religious right uh, in a response to Jimmy Carter. Yeah, so, so that's a good, that's, which is a wild thing. Cause like Jimmy Carter, like he's, he still comes off as like, he's very religious. He's one of our most passionate, one of our most passionately religious presidents. But the reason why the religious right was in response to him was because Reagan tried to make it out that Jimmy Carter wasn't like a real Christian. Because if he were a real God-fearing man, uh, he would believe all these things. He would believe in freedom. He would believe in all this jazz, you know? So, so the evangelical sect of America fell into that because they saw Jimmy Carter as one of them, but Jimmy Carter believed in, in humankind, you know, in a way that they didn't see was compatible with their interpretation of Christianity. Um, and Ronald Reagan uh, sort of preyed on that and created this sect of the Republican Party that was very hyper-religious and had a very warped interpretation of the Bible that conforms to uh, American values, I suppose. But uh, yeah, and it grew rapidly. That's how Reagan won so, so, you know, uh -huh. so confidently because the religious right just grew and grew and grew. Yeah. Because they felt betrayed by Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter sold himself as this man of God, but for four years he failed to solve any real problems, really. Um, you know, and and with the with the Iran hostage situation, uh, was it Iran or, or Iraq? Iran, I believe it was Iran. Yeah. Um, 
But with the hostage situation and Jimmy Carter's failure to address that and also amplified by the hostages being released as soon as Ronald Reagan was um, inaugurated, led to Jimmy Carter kind of being this sort of pariah of history. But he kind of has redeemed himself by building a whole bunch of houses and turning into a cute old man. <laughs> Which is what's happening to George Bush, and it shouldn't be happening to George Bush. Yeah, it's George Bush really hasn't done anything to deserve it. I mean, George Bush is not allowed to become a cute old man. He deserves to uh, go to the hog and rotten hell. We're talking about George W. Bush, right? Yes, we are. Don't worry, George H. W. Bush is already dead, so we don't need yeah. to worry about him. Yeah, no. Um, a couple of things that Ronald Reagan did that I think have caused um, a real lasting damage to our society um, would be one, he uh, he vetoed the Fairness Doctrine um, when they yeah. tried to uh, get that reinstalled, which for anyone who's listening who doesn't know what that is, um, that basically was the legislation that forced the media to give equal coverage to either side to other opposing sides of a political topic um and literally it's the it's removal um traded fox news and has led to the wildly partisan um media political media that we have today well you know another uh sort of i guess unintended consequence of that um the just massive amount of screen time Donald Trump was given by liberal leaning news organizations True. compared to even Hillary Clinton, let alone, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders and Martin O'Malley and other democratic candidates at the time, you know, all we saw in 2015 was Donald Trump. And that led, that led him to the presidency. Yeah, that's true. The massive overdose of media exposure. Which even though like the media thought they were like showing his clownishness, their over coverage of him almost sort of like legitimized, it legitimized him. him. Yeah, exactly. Jinx. Yeah, no, it, it's, yeah. yeah, no, it's 10 cent pop. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it turned him into a real person uh, because I mean, a lot of people, especially people my age probably don't remember he was a joke for a real long ass time. Oh yeah. Uh, he, I mean, I remember like when I was 12 watching Saturday night live and he would be the guy that would come on as like the scummy businessman. And in all the cartoons, the scummy businessman character was a Donald Trump caricature. Mm -hmm. He was just this reality show host who was rich in the eighties. Um, and then when he ran for president, you know, he started, he was given a platform to explain all his horrendously outlandish political opinions. But, you know, when compared to the boring white bread run of the mill Republicanism of Ted Cruz and Jeb Bush, people were excited by Donald Trump. He was new and different. Honestly, it, it fucking horrifies me that somehow that, that primary came down to Ted Cruz and Donald Trump. Like literally at the, time, the bottom Cruz, of the barrel choices. Yeah. Well, at the time, Ted Cruz was seen as like a legitimate Republican politician. He was party lining. He was doing all that jazz. I mean, the Trump era really pulled a lot of Republicans to the right and it turned them into whack jobs or maybe let them be the whack jobs they always were inside. Mm -hmm. 
But yeah, no, Ronald Reagan definitely uh, pretty much directly responsible for that. He also created the war against, um, well, against the welfare state, really. Yeah. Uh, when he created the uh, the welfare queen uh, myth um, and tried to sell it as a commonly ongoing problem, even though his his example his anecdotal example of welfare queen behavior was to a rather like atypical person, like a person who is was like a no was like a, a full on criminal, like con artist, and who had like had committed crimes much worse than fraud. Yeah. And well, and uh, I think here's the here's the big. I mean, that that definitely has far reaching consequences in terms of Republicans still trying to gut Social Security and Medicaid. And so, I mean, you want to talk about getting social security, look at anything Joe Biden has said on social security prior to his presidency. You know, he's fallen for that as well. Um, but one big thing I think we're feeling right now is Ronald Reagan's um, legitimization of the NRA. Because he was a massive champion for gun rights. Mm-hmm. Um, big time. And people will bring up this uh, quote that he has of like yeah the, you know we should probably have some gun control whatever he said but that does not change the fact that the nra it's it kind of its golden age was with reagan um because he and charlton heston were old buddies old hollywood buddies and charlton Heston was the president of the nra and ronald reagan's the president of the other thing you know the country and he and with the nra receiving such exposure um you know, they were able to last until pretty recently because right now they're uh, having a lot of financial trouble. But, you know, think of any mass shooting at all and think of how the NRA has responded to that and um, propagated the sort of pro-gun mentality that leads to more mass shootings. I mean, you know, what is it? Uh, the, the, the last week, you know, the last week of May, we've had three mass shootings in 24 hours. It's nuts, especially after the highly publicized one in Olvade. Um, but, you know, there's also the discussion that? to have about... Sorry? Is that how you pronounce that? I, that's how I pronounce that. Okay. I honestly don't know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, when you think of any school shooting, any mass shooting, and you think about how their NRA propagates that culture and it keeps politicians in their pockets so that gun control legislation doesn't happen i mean that is a product of reaganite america for sure the same people who the same people who are in the nra and promote the nra's agenda are the same people who put reagan on the pedestal as the best president we've had you know reagan and and, you know not for any bad reason reagan was a highly popular president at the time you know america was the shining city on the hill under reagan at least white america was Oh, Reagan, you son of a bitch. I, yeah. And I, he was also, he also was big Cold War president. He, yeah, that's uh, true. He drummed up a ton of fear of socialism or anything even resembling socialism or the... Uh... And that was, that was helped, I think, by the Soviet Union kind of buckling a little bit because... You know, Mikhail Gorbachev, I think, saw the writing on the wall at a certain point 
Mm. Um, the Soviet Union, uh, contrary to any movie you will see about the Cold War, was out of money by the 70s. Um, they were not doing well for a real long time. And, uh, you know, if you see, like, in this new series of Stranger Things, you see gulags and all that. They didn't have gulags in 1986. They couldn't afford gulags. <laughs> Like uh, when, when Ronald Reagan, and this is maybe the only funny thing Ronald Reagan did when he did this, when he announced the star Wars program in an effort to bankrupt the USSR, he did it. The USSR uh, put all their remaining money in space weapons and it failed and they collapsed. Uh, Yeah. But no, I mean, Reagan was the last cold. I mean, I guess, H.W. Bush was a technically last Cold War president, but Reagan was the last Cold War president. And uh, I think that's a lot of legacy in and of itself, because when you think of war presidents, you know, there's a certain nobility about it. Even George W. Bush has that, um, even though, you know, mm-hmm. he was president. terrible and it was his fault. But, uh, you know, that. so I think that's, that's where that uh that's where that lies you know his part of his legacy is is the ending the cold war which i mean i guess he did indirectly even though the soviet union was kind of already out of money yep all right well let's talk about reagan's war crimes true iran contra mm-hmm. not cool man he claimed to not know anything about. Well, at that juncture, I doubt he knew much about anything because he had, uh, you know, that Alzheimer's disease. Uh, have you ever seen that uh, movie? I think it's called um, American Made or something with uh, with Tom Cruise. No. Um, of course, Tom Cruise was in something called American Made. Well, it's it's about um, it's it's technically about like the like. It's about the guy who would drive the planes for the CIA with the cocaine. Ah, and and like cool. one of the weird things the movie brings up is that essentially like he agreed to help at the end of it he agreed to help the CIA set up the guys that they had previously been doing the co- getting the cocaine transports with. And so so he agreed to help them in order to like get his like freedom and whatnot. Um, but so they do the thing, and like they re- and like the president ends up coming on the TV with a picture of him and like calling him out as the guy who was doing doing it. And suddenly he's gone from being the guy who was trying to help them shut it down to being the guy that's getting everything pinned it pinned on. Uh, so he he was never supposed to be outed to the public, but then Reagan did it for no for the, it, the movie does not make it clear why Reagan did this, or at least I don't remember why they said he did it, but uh, totally screwed that guy. <laughs> yeah, I never I never heard that part of the story. Um, it's in the movie. I mean, to be fair, who knows how much of what's true in a movie anymore? You know, fair. But it's a true an interesting movie if you're interested in these top in the topics of like our government selling cocaine which which like what's weird is like everyone knew they were doing it yeah i mean it's like uh 
it's like the CIA invading countries. The CIA never admits it, but we all know what happens. Yeah. You yeah, know, look at what happened in Bolivia a couple of years ago. You know, military coup. Uh, well, the socialists won anyway, so guess that they, failed. <laughs> they uh there's even there's even like there's even a suicide squad comic book about it. Like <laughs> That's there, cool. There there's there's it's an annual issue where like the suicide squad gets sent to uh to like somewhere in central america to rescue the superhero known as hawk who has mm-hmm. who was helping the cia bring cocaine to, to the central american countries um mm. and so they send in the suicide squad and um what's interesting about it is it has some of the same members as the newest movie um mm. but like uh in the it's one of the most disastrous suicide squad missions ever where literally only Rick Flag survives. Uh oh. um everyone else dies including the thinker and um and weasel um who actually kill each other. Uh awesome. So like weasel kills the thinker and like it the uh the team but the team needs the thinker's helmet cuz he uses helmet in the comics. To like mm. enhance his psychic power, so they take that, and when he puts, and when Rick Flag puts, I think it's Rick Flag puts on the helmet, like the thinker uses, like the thinker's power, the thinker's like mind is still in the helmet, and like uses it to kill Weasel. That's but funny. Um, the mission also gets messed up because another person in the government wants to show up the Suicide Squad, and they send <laughs> Doom Patrol there to in in to rescue Hawk. Uh, Doom Patrol? Yeah, no, it's a crossover between Doom Patrol oh! and the Suicide Squad, and so That's like awesome. their their mission ends up like they their mission gets uh, all messed up, <laughs> and like everyone <laughs> on the squad dies, and the suicide and the Doom Patrol I think gets um, the credit for rescuing the American. It's a huge disaster, nice. but uh, but yeah, deep down everybody knows the CIA sold cocaine. Uh, uh, let's. What about um? Do you um? When I was in when I was studying um. I forget what it was like uh, global politics or something in college. Um, one of the things mm. they brought up was um. There was this Central American country um, that during the Reagan administration, uh, we were illegally like blockading or stockading them with like uh, water, uh, like those aquatic mines. And my understanding of what I've happened. I've never heard of this. No, you haven't? Was no. I, was told, I was told this in school. So, All right. so I'll have to. Now I want to fact check it, but essentially what my understanding is, is essentially like a British, um, a British like civilian ship ended up hitting one of them and, um, the United States was really cool. Um, and basically the United States was, uh, basically the international crimes court was like, Hey, you guys signed this treaty to not use those. Uh, we're going to need Ronald Reagan to stand trial. And Ronald Reagan was like, no, I'll just, I'll just unsign that treaty. And so he, he unsigned the treaty and there were no consequences. It's crazy that he can do that. He can just do that. International law. You can't. Not. International law yeah, is it's, bullshit. It's not enforceable. That's, that's what we did learn in global politics, is that international law has no standing other than everyone agreeing it does. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, we we really need uh, maybe to give the UN a court, like an actual court with judges and <laughs> uh, legal standing. That would be cool. The question that, is that how means... would we enforce it, you know? True. I mean, again, the, the question that you're asked all the time in global politics is who watches the Watchmen? Um, because the U.S., I mean, who's going to tell the U.S. no? At this juncture in world history, yeah. we we are the hegemony. Hegemony, I always forget that word. Um, we we are the superpower. There is no one else but us, and everyone else is different degrees of less powerful. So it's it's really unfortunate, uh, but that's the way it is, and the U.S. can do whatever it wants. Okay, I'm gonna have to look up that. I'm gonna have to look up that war crimes thing. But I did just look up uh, Reagan administration scandals. Uh, nice. A lot of what I know about the Reagan administration doing wrong is domestic affairs. So the handling of the AIDS epidemic and the continuation of the war on drugs, um, which largely included crack instead of weed. Because mm-hmm. Nixon's whole thing was weed, um, which has a surprisingly racist history to it. Oh yeah, uh, but not but not to African Americans, the Mexicans. Yeah, no, I'm aware of that one. Yeah, uh, I also know that um, it was one of Nixon's people who later who was um, who it was confirmed uh, confirmed later that the war on drugs was pretty much about using heroin and weed to shut down the hippies and the Black Panther Party tracks yeah so that they could so that basically they could arrest black people and hippies uh and prevent them from like causing issues i guess but uh they looks like we got department of housing and urban development grant rigging situation was going on nice nice great job 16 convictions were eventually handled handed down uh lobbying scandals Apparently, there were some EPA scandals, savings and loans crisis, Operation Ill Will. Yeah, Reagan wasn't a fan of the EPA. Reagan was not a fan of the EPA. This is true. This is true. Operation Ill Wind was a three-year investigation launched in 1986 by the FBI into corruption by U.S. government and military officials and private defense contractors. Melvin Paisley, appointed by Assistant Secretary of Navy in 1981 by by Republican President Ronald Reagan, was found to have accepted hundreds of thousands of dollars in bribes. He pleaded guilty to bribery and served four years in prison. And Reagan got off scot-free. Yeah. Yeah, It doesn't look like he got in much trouble for any of these. There was something called... No, no he didn't. There was something called. It doesn't clarify much about this one, but it says there's something called the WedTech scandal, uh, which WedTech Corporation was convicted of bribery. Um, DebateGate. DebateGate involved the final days of 1981 presidential election, and briefing papers that were to have been used by President Jimmy Carter in preparation for October 28, 1980 debate with Reagan had somehow been acquired by Reagan's team. 
The fact was not divulged to the public until late 1983, after Lawrence mm -hmm. Barrett published Gambling with History, Reagan in the White House, an in-depth account of the Reagan administration's first two years. James Baker swore under oath that he had received the briefing book from William Casey, Reagan's campaign manager, but Casey vehemently denied this. The matter was never resolved as both FBI and congressional subcommittees failed to determine how or through whom the briefing book came to the Reagan campaign. Of course. Wow. Our boys in blue. Solving the crimes. Six you want to know a funny Reagan story? Perhaps my sure. favorite Reagan story. Um, and it is Reagan being funny. Reagan was a funny man. As much as he was evil and uh, devoid of morals, he was funny. Uh, some months after he was shot, um, he was giving a speech and someone dropped like a shoe or something flat that made a sharp sort of like pow sound against the floor. And Reagan instinctively ducked because it sounded like gunfire. And after sort of looking around for a second, everyone's like, oh God, was shots fired? He just kind of leaned in the microphone and said, missed. <laughs> oh, Ronald Reagan. He was a 50s actor. Yeah. Who, by the way, sold people out to the HUAC. Yeah. He, he yeah. was, he big time testified to, uh, to Nixon and McCarthy. Yeah. So remember that Ronald Reagan was pro cancel culture. He That's true. He That's was, so true. He was pro canceling people for their opinions. Yeah. Just wrap your head around that one. Just so everybody knows he actively canceled people. Ronald Reagan went to Congress to cancel his friends. And this, and back then, when you canceled somebody, it stuck. It wasn't like yeah, any, they put you on a list. It wasn't like this Mel Gibson being canceled three times, or Louis C.K. coming back with his with a whole new comedy album with a Grammy award-winning comedy album. Yeah, as if he isn't a sexual deviant who harassed people, or even more importantly, covered it up. True. No, Hollywood is much more forgiving nowadays. Mm -hmm. But Ronald Reagan canceled people all the time. He made a day out of it. He got dressed up. He went to Washington, D.C. He sat in front of Richard Nixon, Turkey Dick himself, and he said, these are the people I want to cancel today. And he read out the names, and those people were investigated and put on a blacklist and not allowed to work again. And it wasn't like any... It wasn't like any... Uh wasn't like he was just doing it on Twitter either. No. Like you said, he, he showed up in person. He put on a suit. He donned glasses mm -hmm. so that he could uh, read the names clearly. Do you, do you think he did it because he was just, you know, so bitter about being the poor man's um, duke? You know, the poor man's poor man's everyone. The poor man's John Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously. Can you name any of his cowboy movies? I don't think any of his cowboy movies are as famous as the fact that he made a movie with a chimpanzee. That time for Malzo. Um The one movie I do know is that he was in a movie about John Brown in which he played a man 
uh, who hated John Brown, which tells you all you need to know. I mean, so many cowboy movies to begin with are infused with like the lost cause myth also. So he's already working in like the most regressive genre of film probably, which is not to say that all cowboy movies or all cowboys are immediately confederate. Here's the thing. I love Westerns. I love cowboy movies. Love them. And you're right. A lot of cowboy movies, especially like Westerns that took place during that time period. Um, uh, a lot of the good guys were Confederates. Mm-hmm. I remember in the Coen Brothers True Grit, both uh, both uh, Cogburn and LaBeouf were Confederate soldiers in the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Very common in in in, uh, in in Western movies. Yeah, uh, they, they probably were in the in the book too. That's right. It was a book. Have you ever seen The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly? I have seen A Fistful of Dollars, but not The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. The Good, The, good, the Bad, and The Ugly is worth a watch. It's, it's very long, but it, it, it's also... It's a very darkly funny movie. Um, like, it almost has, like, a, like a darkly satirical edge to it. Hmm. But, like... But, like, the film is clearly, like not like like there's clearly some sympathy for like um for like confederates to a degree but like it's also like very like the whole movie's very morally ambiguous on the civil war and there's this mm-hmm. part where they're dis- where like the main characters have disguised themselves in confederate like suits and like they see this battalion r- riding up to them and they're like oh they're like what oh what color are their suits and they're like Oh, they're gray. Okay, we're good. We're good. We're good. And then they get there, and they're Union soldiers, but they're just covered in so much dust that from a distance they looked like they had gray uniforms. <laughs> and, and, and they're suddenly like, well, we're fine. <laughs> and they, they get arrested at that point. But, uh, but yeah, there's a lot. Like, the portrayal of the Union Army is not overly positive in a lot of these um, Western stories. Maybe because they were considered like the man or something of that time period. I mean, I guess I guess they're technically the federal law people. Uh, but, but they yeah. also fought to end slavery, not to keep it. So, yeah. chew on that one, Clint Eastwood. Indeed, Clint. Indeed, you. Yeah, guy who talks to a chair. Although, in fairness, Clint East. Clint Eastwood, Clint Eastwood apparently, and Clint Eastwood's films were not quite as um, his movies were always more morally ambiguous. And uh, oh, you don't need to tell me. I've seen Dirty Harry. I know. And um, he loves his moral ambiguity. Apparently, John Wayne did not care for that. Oh, I bet. I bet John like Wayne apparently, he really. Apparently, at one point, they were trying to make a project that would have both of them in, in it together. And, like, John Wayne did not want to do it. Because John Wayne just wanted to say the N-word. And, to be fair, so did Clint Eastwood. Um, but Clint Eastwood wanted to have redeeming qualities, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I will say, as a filmmaker, Clint Eastwood, you know, he's, he's pretty talented. He's made some big, some big movies. Although apparently, like, um, 
one of the things that has come out of this uh, this recent merger between Warner Brothers and Discovery is that um, the uh, the the Discovery executives were horrified to discover that Warner Brothers um, did not ex- that Warner Brothers expected Clint Eastwood's last movie to fail, and they still made it. Nice. Uh, Cry Macho, I think it was called. Sounds like they greenlit expensive vanity projects, Netflix, and it worked. Well, no, this was Warner Brothers, but yeah. Um, apparent, yeah, apparently Warner Brothers just been making bad decisions for a long time. Yeah, you think? Uh, you know, with their, uh, with their Harry Potter trilogy, with the Fantastic Beasts? The Fantastic... You know, I actually saw the last one of those recently. Was um, it just as good as everyone said it was? Um, I didn't think they... Like, I, I mean, it was fine. It, I mean, it kind of ends exactly how I expected it to. And, you know, Mads Mikkelsen is... Like, part of me hates to say it, but, like, Mads Mikkelsen's kind of an improvement over Johnny Depp. In terms of... Yeah. I saw Johnny Depp doing the other two movies. Well, Johnny Depp was being Johnny Depp. He was being kooky and crazy and weird. Yeah. And I love him for it. I love him for it. Don't get me wrong. But, like... But, no, I would ima- I would imagine Mads Mikkelsen takes it more seriously. Yeah, no, like, the scenes between him and Dumbledore, you, you can, like, feel, like... You can feel, like, this passion come off of Mads Mikkelsen where, like, you know, like, his character... Like, I can't imagine Johnny Depp doing, like the scenes that Mad Mickelson's does in the movie is the thing. Like Mad Mickelson's mm. like guy seems like a much more grounded monster uh than what Johnny Depp was doing. Interesting. Like I I don't know. Uh, he just he like I it's hard for me to like I feel like Johnny Depp's scenes with Dumbledore um would have been much more melodramatic about their romance. But like with Mads Mikkelsen, it just it feels more believable because Mads Mikkelsen is a dedicated and serious actor. Yeah, not to say that Johnny Depp isn't, but Johnny Depp is a very stylistic actor. Yes, so that makes sense that you cannot imagine delivering a more serious, grounded portrayal. Which. What's interesting about those three movies, though, is that the Fantastic Beast movies are literally about a fascist uprising in the wizard world. Oh, my God. Yeah. And also, the good guys are like, oh, we have to, uh, let's check the notes on our hand here. Keep the Holocaust happening <laughs> so that Mads Mikkelsen does not stop it. So he doesn't go back in time and stop Hitler. We got we to gotta keep Hitler. Guys, well, I mean, let's it- go. It's happened. I mean, I think it happened. It's it's happening post World War One. I, I think. Uh, I read, and to be fair, I have not seen the movie, but I'm going to make a lot of assumptions anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I love doing it. I heard, I read that the plot revolves around Grindelwald wanting to go forward in time to stop World War Two from happening, or he wants to do some kind of time thing to stop World War Two from happening, it- so that he can be history's genocidal maniac and that he can get rid of all the muggles so that he can be the supreme power guy. 
so I don't know about any, um, I don't remember any comment of time travel in these movies. Um, okay. The third movie is essentially about Mads Mikkelsen's character rigging the election. Uh, <laughs> that, no, literally, that's what it's about. Like, like literally, the first two that movies are about so him. Bad. The first two movies are about him recruiting um, this uh, this um, this child who was accidentally raised by Muggles and repressed his magic until he became like this uh, super powerful. Um, obscura creature um, and basically recruiting him because he thinks he can use him to kill Dumbledore because he can't kill Dumbledore because him and Dumbledore when they were in love made this spell that makes it impossible for them to turn on each other um, so he recruits um, he recruits this kid played by Ezra Miller who's got severe emotional problems um, which feels like typecasting at this point and yeah. uh, I feel bad for Ezra Miller. Ezra Miller needs to stop drinking. Uh, he needs to stop going in. He needs to stop going into bars and trying to pick fights with people he. I mean, with people that they believe are either um, white supremacists or transphobic. And I'm not saying the people he met in these bars weren't white supremacists or transphobic, but maybe Miller, they should just uh, take a leave of absence from Hawaii for a little bit. They apparently maybe they should just. They apparently have come back. To California, um, but uh, but uh, but yeah, they play the uh, the the kid with the uh, with the traumatic problems, and um, but the third movie is basically Grindel uh, Grindelwald steals this creature that is supposed to like register wizards' purity, and he. And basically, he he does a spell that involves murdering it and bringing it back to life, so that he can tamper with its powers, and it will choose him. And this will apparently this was the old way that the the wizards used to choose an election. Um, so he ends up like using like a bunch of stuff to get on the ballot. He gets he gets absolved of his crimes. Um. He gets himself on the ballot, and then, like, he, his insider inside the political system brings out this creature called a chillin' that's supposed to, like, indicate how pure all the wizards are, and so they can try and, um... And because the belief is if the chillin' picks him, that everyone's going to vote for him. Um, but, uh, you know, it doesn't all go as it, as planned, and... The good guys eventually prove that he's rigging the election. And that's that's what it's about. I mean it he does want that to That sounds uh that sounds bad, if I'm gonna be frank here. <laughs> uh that sounds like it lacks all the whimsy and charm that made the Harry Potter movies so enjoyable. Uh <laughs> because I mean, there's uh, some they whimsy did, and they charm did, there. They did Star Wars Trade Federation shit. <laughs> yeah, no, they they pulled a bit. Of, I mean, it is this is technically a prequel to the original series, so they are technically pulling a George Lucas. This, they, they are pulling a George Lucas in this regard. And I bet in ten years we'll all say, ah, they were just misunderstood. Well, they were certainly better than these new Harry Potter movies. Yeah. <laughs> 
speaking of elections, we were talking about presidents, right? Yeah. Yeah. What a creepy cast of characters those guys are. Oh, there are, there's one election that is the most, uh, like influential election in our history and probably will remain that way forever. Um, the election of 1912, which saw the advent of Woodrow Wilson's horrific, terrible presidency. Um, it's, it's, it set the ground. So, so here's some historical context for you. The, platforms of the republican and democratic party used to be completely opposite mm-hmm. yeah um people often attribute the platform switch to franklin roosevelt um but in reality it kind of happened a little earlier with theodore roosevelt because theodore roosevelt kind of put william taft in charge when he left the presidency because he said he was only going to do two terms um because back then it was not constitutionally it was not constitutionally mandated that a president can only serve two terms. Um, however, William Taft was kind of more moderate than TR had expected, so he decided to run again. And plus, he just like missed being president. It was definitely an ego thing. Um, and William Taft felt betrayed, and they got into a very bitter and very public fight about it. And these two people were people who were like best friends for a long time. Um, So the Republican Party wanted to avoid another term of Theodore Roosevelt because they hated him. Um, And uh, Theodore Roosevelt decided to make his own party, Blackjack and Hookers. And he founded the Progressive Party. And he campaigned very aggressively on progressive issues of the time, which was women's suffrage and uh, civil rights and uh, labor unions, you know, workers' rights, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and he ended up being the main candidate against Woodrow Wilson. The Republican Party kind of faltered because William Taft was just an uninteresting candidate and he was uninterested in being president again. He was just doing it to spite TR, but he hated being president. Wow. Um, yeah, William Taft hated being president. He wanted to be on the Supreme Court, but uh, that's not the way it went in his life. He did end up being Supreme Court ju- uh, Chief Justice for ten years, so he died. He died as the Chief Justice, so so he died happy. Uh, but no, the 1912 election saw the Republican Party kind of falter in the wake of the Progressive Party. It's the only time a third party has finished ahead of the major two political parties uh, since the Democratic Party and the Republican Party have coexisted. Um, and it's the best a third party has done in general. Theodore Roosevelt got roughly 33% of the vote, like a third of the vote um, in the progressive party. And Woodrow Wilson ended up winning. But as horrendously racist and problematic as Woodrow Wilson was, in other respects, he and Theodore Roosevelt agreed on quite a bit um, in terms of social reforms and stuff like that. Woodrow Wilson was definitely a modern... Uh, not modern, moderate Democrat in some ways. Mm-hmm. So that he he's kind of the first, he wasn't, at, for the time, he was left of center. For the time. I just want to clarify that. Um, by today's standards, not so much. By, today, by today's standards, not at all. Um, and then when he left office, Warren Harding was elected. And he was a moderate Republican. 
he was a very corrupt individual who liked having sex with a lot of women and he fathered baby children. He fathered babies that weren't his wife's. And a popular theory is that he died early because his wife poisoned him. Uh, historians will tell you it didn't happen, but I will tell you it did because it's so much funnier than a heart attack. Um, then, uh, yeah. And it kind of just went that way. It kind of just went in the pattern of like, the Democratic presidents got a little more moderate and the Republican presidents got a little more moderate until eventually with Franklin Roosevelt, he was a Democrat um, and he was also left-wing because Theodore Roosevelt was left-wing and Theodore Roosevelt was his idol. Theodore Roosevelt was his cousin, um, fifth cousin. They were not very, they were not very uh, related to each other, but his wife, Eleanor, was Theodore Roosevelt's niece. Uh, because he and Eleanor were also fifth cousins. Uh, so he knew Theodore Roosevelt because Theodore Roosevelt gave Eleanor away at their wedding. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, because uh, Eleanor Roosevelt's father, Elliot, was a deeply mentally ill man and alcoholic who jumped out a window when Eleanor Roosevelt was young. Uh, and Theodore Roosevelt kind of took Eleanor under his wing because he felt bad. But... Uh, as Franklin Roosevelt started entering politics, he wanted to be like his cousin. So even though he was a registered Democrat, he adopted a lot of his cousin's policies. And that led to their presidencies kind of being similar in a way, economically at least, because Theodore Roosevelt had his square deal, which kind of reformed big business uh, operations and how unions were seen and stuff like that. And obviously FDR had the New Deal, which kind of dug the U.S. out of the Great Depression. Um, and I was followed by Harry Truman, who was kind of an equally progressive Democrat in some ways. You know, his big slip up was nuking Japan. Obviously, that is kind of an unforgivable war crime. Um, to be completely fair to Harry Truman, uh, he did not know about it until he entered the presidency because he entered the presidency. He, he did not want to be president. He, Franklin Roosevelt died of a cerebral hemorrhage. Yeah. Uh, you know, he still chose to. So, I mean, again, complex complex figures presidents are um but he also desegregated the military he was a big champion for civil rights he was the first sitting president to endorse universal health care um he uh, you know he was he was a chill democrat dude i guess you know yeah. um fun fact about harry truman quickly before we move on to eisenhower he founded the cia but when the cia started being used for um, nefarious purposes he called for its abolition because he founded the CIA strictly for um, f strictly for foreign policy briefing and intelligence. He did not found the CIA to be an arm of um, the military. So he was anti-CIA when they started invading foreign countries. Wow. Published an op-ed in the Washington Post if you want to read it. It's highly accessible. Um, but yeah, Eisenhower came in after a slew of progressive Democrats, and he was kind of the first conservative Republican, maybe Herbert Hoover, but Herbert Hoover was kind of too depressed to do anything about it because um, the Great Depression. He, he was not very happy about his cards, uh, the, the, his hand that he was dealt as president. He wasn't very stoked about it. Oh, this is um, when I get to be president? Fine. Yeah, even though he was the one who caused it years earlier. Um, but yeah, I, I made this bed. Now I have to sleep in it. Gosh exactly. damn it. 
And if he didn't run for president, he wouldn't have had to sleep in it. But alas. Um, yeah. So modern history tells us that the shift happened from Roosevelt to Kennedy. But it's only because they were kind of the first examples. Th those presidents in between were kind of the first examples of the modern uh, political parties. Because you had Roosevelt, Truman, and Kennedy, who were fairly progressive Democrats, uh, while the era of the Southern Democrats still, still existed. And you had Eisenhower and Nixon, who were fairly, who were conservative Republicans. And it was cemented by that point. And Lyndon Johnson kind of eradicated the Southern Democrat movement by being a progressive Southern Democrat. Because after that, that, that thing kind of fell away. George Wallace was a Democrat, but he lost his presidential race. Um, and he was also shot, uh, which, you know, do it. Yeah. Tragedy, but also he was a segregationist. So, oh. you know, maybe deserved. Oh yeah. Do you not know who George Wallace is? I don't know a lot about George Wallace. He was governor of either, he was governor of Alabama and he was running for president against uh, Robert Kennedy. Uh, in 1968, and he was shot in the stomach and paralyzed. It's in Forrest Gump. You, you know, I probably ha if it was in Forrest Gump, I probably heard about it. So yeah, he he was the guy who was standing in front of the school, and uh, when uh, when uh, for Forrest Gump was looking at the uh, integration of the schools, if you remember that, it's been a minute. Like, Forrest Gump, but yeah. uh, some years later that. That man in front of the door was shot. You know, that was George Wallace. Nice. But yeah, no, the 1912 election definitely set the stage for modern politics and no other election has really done something like that. How, how do you feel about this most recent? Um, oh my God. I feel so many ways about it. <laughs> uh, you know, we beat Trump, but when but you, well, when you make your, and here's where the poli side degree comes in. When you make your enemy Trump and not the party Trump is in, you lose the election in general. You win the presidency. Biden won the presidency, but we lost seats in pretty much every legislature, both federal and state. We lost a lot of governor's races. We lost a lot of local elections. Because the Democrats refused to make the Republicans the bad guy, they made Trump the bad guy. So they won the presidency, but they lost everywhere else. We're only hanging on to Congress by a thread. A thread, I, a hope, and a prayer. I, I, I really felt like I felt like there was some trouble when we went into the, the, the Democratic primary. Uh, there was. The Democratic Party the Democratic Party pulled some nasty little shenanigans for the second time in a row on Bernie Sanders. And you can call me a crackpot conspiracy theorist because WikiLeaks isn't around to prove me right this time. Um, <laughs> but, you know, there are rumors afloat that the Democratic National Committee and Barack Obama and a few other key Democrats colluded to get the more moderate folks out of the race like Buttigieg and Klobuchar and keep Warren in the race to divide the progressive wing of the party and flood all the moderates towards Joe Biden. So that happened before Super Tuesday. Bernie was leading everything, uh, especially after Nevada, because he won the Nevada primary. 
Um, but when Buttigieg and Klobuchar dropped out just before Super Tuesday, all the moderates flocked to Joe Biden, and that gave him the edge. Mm. It was a really bad time to be a progressive. So a thing that I, I couldn't help but notice, the thing that made me think, like, this is a problem for the Democrats, is that there was, like, how to put it? They, they, there was an overemphasis, I felt like, on Trump. Because like it there was, felt like there was. Oh, everyone sure. was running on like I can beat Trump, and these are the things that's wrong with Trump. And like the problem with that is, is what we really needed to know was how are these people going to try and shave voters off of Trump? Because like when you come out and your major and... thing is, hey, I'm I'm the right candidate because I'm because you because we hate Trump. That's that's not gonna that's not a message that's going to carry over into people who really need to be told why it's important to vote Democrat. Like that's, that's a message that's only going to be conferred to people who already hate Trump. And here's, and here's the deal with that. You can beat Trump all you want, but if the Republican party abandons Trump, all of a sudden you have no enemy to Mm -hmm. beat. Yeah. Uh, So and that has and that has kind of happened a little bit. The Republicans have put their hopes in kind of the Trump wing of the party, but what has Trump been doing? Mm-hmm. He's been holding rallies. He has his faithful fan base, but the Republican Party itself has not been super attached to him. So in 2024, if Trump runs again, or you know some other Trumpite Republican, um, Joe Biden's up a creek, man. He. Uh, because there, there's no strategy there. So, you know, you, you, as a candidate, you want to make sure your voters know that not only are you not the other guy, but you care about them and you want to make sure they know that you'll do good by them. Mm-hmm. All of, I, I subscribe to the theory that all of public policy is PR. All of it is optics. At least like 99% of it is optics. A you want to go with what- optics. Yeah, you want to go with what the people want. And that's not really what's happening. You know, uh, uh, with this, with, with the whole uh, uh, top, topic of abortion, abortion is kind of overwhelmingly popular uh, in the country at large. But, you know, no, it's a state issue. So that means it'll never, it'll never be legalized. Mm-hmm. You know, this kind of reluctance to act on hot button issues just because, oh, it might hurt you in the election... You're not telling people you care about them and you'll end up losing voters. That's the whole thing with the progressives. You know, uh, progressives are blamed for a lot of moderate failures, but it's only because they want to vote for a candidate who they know will have their backs. That's all a voter really asks. And if a candidate can't deliver, they don't deserve to be in office. And having a, a voter's back is a lot more than just not being the other guy. Yeah, it's a big problem with our system right now. Yeah. And when you see in the 2021 election, uh, Democrats funneling millions more dollars, I think the number was five million more dollars into defeating a progressive candidate for the mayor, uh, the mayoral race of Buffalo than in the gubernatorial race in Virginia. That shows where their that shows where their priorities lie. India Burton in Buffalo won the Democratic nomination. She's a DSA lady. She beat the incumbent, Byron Black. Um, but the Democrats threw their weight behind Byron Black's writing campaign, and Black won. 
Meanwhile, in Virginia, Terry McAuliffe lost. And, there, and Virginia now has a Republican governor because he just didn't get the resources that, that Democrats were giving out because Democrats were more concerned about quashing progressive candidacies. Yeah. Yeah, it really, it, 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 paints, a, it paints a picture that doesn't make the Democrats look like... They care. Sometimes I feel like the it Democrats doesn't look like they hate care. That they're the Democrats. Like, like if, it's like sometimes it feels like the Democrats show up to a debate and it's like, oh man, I lost the coin toss, but I prepared for the other side. Like, like just a lot of them, it feels like, oh, they really want to be Republicans. Yeah, and I mean, it's more blatant in others than it is in others, you know, with... Uh... Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin. I mean, those those people have been mentioned high and low nonstop mm-hmm. um, because they are general malfeasance and ne'er do wells within the party. But I mean, you even look at Joe Biden. Look at look at Joe Biden's congressional record. He's the author of the 1994 crime bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was viscerally anti-gay marriage for much of his political career until it became politically convenient. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was pretty on the Hyde Act until it became politically convenient not to be on the Hyde Act. Uh, I mean, he, Clarence Thomas, enough said, you know, he was a supporter of Clarence Thomas when, uh, when that all came out, when he was chairman of the Judiciary Committee. It's, he, people forget all the things he did that were unhelpful to the cause he supposedly is fighting now. And people can change. I'm not saying people can't change. I'm saying Joe Biden has not demonstrated that he has changed. What has he done? What material proof is there? He can say all he wants, but when he, but when asked about gun control in a time where kids are being slaughtered in their schools, at a time where women are having their right to privacy and medical uh, um, decisions being restricted by the throat when he says i can't do anything about that you gotta wonder why he ran for president i saw a a tweet a a couple days ago uh, i was like joe biden always tweets like who is this president fella i want to have a word with him because he doesn't do any he always directs it towards congress he always directs it towards the states he pretends like he doesn't have any power when he has famously the most power out of anyone ever that's true do you think he's is he deliberately avoiding using like executive orders or something well i think he doesn't want to rock the boat because uh in this coming midterm election i think the democrats are set to uh suffer a whole bunch because they have no game plan they aren't campaigning properly. You know, you see in Ohio, our local Senate race, Tim Ryan. I like Tim Ryan. I've met Tim Ryan. He's a good guy. I think he's a lot more progressive than he lets on, but his campaign ads are all about beating China. Who cares? Who cares about that? I mean, I, I get he's trying to get moderate voters. He's a union guy. He's trying to get those blue collar folks. But, you know, when, when you want to win the progressive vote as well, who the fuck cares? 
progressive voters who are equally as important as moderate voters want to know what you're going to do about making their quality of life better, not just increasing the country's global standing. And so far, not a lot of Democratic candidates have showcased uh, any interest in, in that part. It's sad. It's unfortunate. But it's the state of things at the moment. Yep. What's crazy to me, though, is that, like, Republicans don't even criticize Joe Biden for, like, real things. No. Like, no, it's all kind of... It's all kind of outlandish. Prices. Yeah, as if he, as if that's one of the things he has any control over. You, you can criticize. I mean, again, this is the same group of people who will not say "fuck Joe Biden" mm-hmm. because uh, if their teacher hears them, they'll get in trouble. I don't know. They're adults; they can say it if they want. Mm-hmm. No one's and, stopping them. Yeah, and. Uh... So, like, I thought it was interesting, like, um, a while ago there were some memes going out about, like, um, Joe, about, like, all the money Joe Biden's sending to Ukraine and, like, how he's not doing, and, but, uh, and, but the meme would always imply, like, oh, sorry about not being, a, good luck with that formula thing, Jack, or, or whatever, where Joe Biden's not doing anything <laughs> about the formula. Of course, like, we, like, a week or two after that, they start moving forward with like legislation to fix the the baby formula thing, and so like suddenly, suddenly they can't uh, they can't talk about that. I do think it's funny that conservatives only bring up um, how much like conservatives only bring up the idea of spending money on America when when they realize that money has been spent on a country that's not America. Like, yeah, there are many like, there there are many very real world long-term problems that joe biden can solve and we're mad at him uh because of gas prices which is not our fault it's russia's fault mm-hmm. and also the mad at russia and the gas companies true i i mean i was un, was under the impression that it was because of russia's oil supplies suddenly being off limits I mean, which is why we are now that's We're now making thing. deals with Venezuela. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, the the Russian thing. My understanding is that um, it's it's more that it's affecting like the global supply because um, mm-hmm. apparently we only got a we only had apparently we only got a small amount of gas from Russia to begin with. Although it has been pointed out, the fact that the amount we will get from Venezuela is like significantly less than what we got from Russia, if my understanding <laughs> is correct. Um, well, Venezuela has every right to refuse us, to uh, be honest. No shit. We were not very nice to Venezuela for a long time. And now all of a sudden we're crawling back to, to good old Maduro after trying to, like, coup him 20 times. We're just, we're just dicks like that. <laughs> but, uh Yeah. It is modern day president, just as complex and infuriating as historical ones. Apparently impeach Biden is trending on Twitter right now. Uh, Of course it is. I pulled it up to see what it was about. And like, it's almost all bullshit. Like a lot of it's gas. Mm -hmm. Can I just call to impeach the president if something goes wrong in my day? 
Well, I mean, that's the, like it's like this escalation thing. Like the set, like the the problem with society is you say you're going to impeach somebody for a legitimate reason, and then the next thing you know, someone's like, "Well, let's say impeachment for everything now," because it it's just yeah, yeah. Like uh, I can trace, you know, a bad day at work to the lack of child care in the country. Impeach Joe Biden making my work days hard. So damn fascist communist. Oh my God. Here's a depressing thing. I just found, I just found the vote <laughs> on the, uh, the va- the vote on the, uh, gas pr- gouging price gouging bill. Uh, this is from C-SPAN. Democrats voted yay of 209, 217, uh, Democrats voted yay. Four Democrats voted nay. 203 Republicans voted uh, nay. Zero Republicans voted yay. So thanks a lot, Republicans, for not bringing down gas prices there. Uh, and But it's, Biden, it's Biden's fault, though. Five, Repu- uh, five Republicans voted not not uh not present uh or no vote um present total votes for 217 total votes against 207 hmm. i'm actually not sure what is it? yeah no the republicans don't know what they're talking about when I was uh, I was at work one day at the front desk, and his family comes up, starts filling out our waiver, uh, and the guy looks at my name tag. It says Brandon because my name is Brandon, and he says, "Hey, you're this uh, Let's Go Brandon meme." And I was like, oh, "Yeah, yeah." And he was like, "Pretty good, right?" And he starts chuckling to himself, I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> man, <laughs> you got him." Why, why would anyone named Brandon want to be associated with that? I just think it's hilarious. I'm named after my uncle, and my uncle and I were recently talking about it and how much we appreciate all the support we're getting all of a sudden, all the billboards and bumper stickers that are just giving us some kind words. We we we, we can't appreciate it enough, folks. Really, keep it coming. Keep it coming. It's it's real nice. On my uh, on my ego and soul. I don't know why I'm being blamed about the gas prices. I figure that's more of a governmental issue, but you know, I'll take it if it means people still cheer me on. Oh, here's here's some mo- here's some more numbers. Great. Uh, twenty eight million dollar twenty eight million dollar four baby formula. Uh, shortage bill. Total Democrats who voted yay, 219, with zero voting nay, but two voting uh, in V, which I, I, that means not no voting vote. or something. Uh, Either no Repu- vote or, like, abstaining. N- 12 Republicans voted for the baby Formula One, and 192 voted against it. A total of 231 Evil. votes for and 192 votes against. Evil. Wow. That's messed up. Veterans benefits. 
uh, Democrats, 100 and, uh, sorry, 222 voted uh, yay. Um, and uh, two, 34 Republicans voted yay for veterans' benefits. Oh, my God. Let's support, support our troops. 174 voted nay. Um, lowering cost of insulin. 220 Democrats voted yay. 12 Republicans voted yay. And 193 Republicans voted nay. Two Democrats didn't vote, and five Republicans didn't vote. Uh, yeah. So this is what happens when you let Tricky Dick Nixon into the White House. This is he this, sets the stage for uh, partisan hackery. This is the ridiculousness that we're living in right now. It's just Republicans don't want any legislation that might be positive going through. I think that's been their strategy since Obama. Like True. positive. They, their goal is to prevent any type of positive legislation from being passed under a Democrat. That is my theory. Well, that's uh, that's pretty damn good theory because that is definitely what's happening as confirmed by Mitchell McConnell. I mean, yeah, uh, no, Mitch McConnell has said it out loud. Addison Mitch McConnell, by the way, mind you, his real first name is Addison. I'm sorry, what? His real first name is Addison. Oh, Addison. I thought you said Daddison. And I was like, that's no. a weird one. His, his name is Addison Mitchell McConnell. Here's a here's a fun one, apparently. And and for those of you in Louisville, Kentucky, if you want his address, I can supply that address. Nice. Apparently there's a bunch of Republicans. That's not a threat. For uh any for any reason that I might need to clarify. It's not a threat. It's parody. <laughs> I don't know what protection the minority leader gets constitutionally. It's probably not. But again, Mitch McConnell's a psychopath, so you never know. I do like, like the thing is, is, is if if the election was rigged, then Mitch McConnell must have rigged it too. Because <laughs> he won. knowing that Joe Biden would fail miserably. Because, because, because somehow. A lot of the vote was split between Joe Biden and uh, and Mitch McConnell. So, like, what's going on there? Fuck Nixon. And fuck Reagan. And fuck Woodrow Wilson. That's the moral. Yeah, I think, you know, that's I think that's a good wrap-up. Do you have, any, <laughs> do you have anything you you'd like to plug at this moment? Um... Point of No Return Improv. That's right. You can come on down to Point of No Return Improv, currently performing at Jilly's, where uh, you can see me and me and Brandon do improv together. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, um, currently second Wednesday of every month at Jilly's, including, if you're listening to this when it's brand new, that coming Wednesday. Yeah. Wednesday the 8th of June, the year of our Lord, 2022. If you listen to this after that point, you'll have to wait for the next second Wednesday. That's true. But it is at Jilly's uh, Music Room in Akron, near Luigi's. And if you live in Akron, yeah, and the, uh, that's enough directions for you to find it. Yeah, next to Luigi's. You could take it from there. Everyone in Akron. The other, thing I, the other thing I want to plug is just, like, read history. 
please. As a historian, um, lots of people don't know it. And, it. and it can just be my favorite kind of history is just those silly little anecdotes. I love telling silly history stories. You know, there's a, a whole part of my history thing. It's just like John Brown. I love studying the life and times of John Brown. And John Brown was such a kooky character. But a lot of what history is and does and was and did can be informed by just those silly little stories, you know? So it can be just like trivia facts about history. That's enough for you to just, for, for, for the greater awareness of like historical patterns to be um, present in our lives. Because right now it isn't too present and yeah. things are regressing in a way that showcases that. Um, I would say that the right in America currently abuses the fact that our understanding of history is poor so they can try and rewrite it and yeah. trick you into thinking things about it. Um, they want you For instance, historically, uh, historically, the economy has been the best when the highest income tax rate bracket has been the highest. Mm -hmm. The most prosperous time in this country was the 1950s under Republican Dwight Eisenhower. The highest income tax rate bracket for, for the super rich was 90%, mm -hmm. 91% to be precise, with a 75% marginal tax rate. Yeah. And our economy has not been better since because it just kind of get, kept slashed and slashed by Nixon and Reagan and both Bushes and Trump until right now. It's resting at, I think, 32%. That might be pre-2017 uh, tax cut. But, and, and guess what? We're in a recession. So, you know, if we want to get our economy back up, pay attention to history, pay attention to the great presidents of the past that raised taxes on the mega rich. Yep. Our Don't economy will get better. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. Thank and, you for having me. Yeah. All right. Well, in that case, let's say goodbye to anyone who's listening. And hopefully they listened to this point. Goodbye. Remember, fuck Woodrow Wilson, fuck Richard Nixon, and fuck Ronald Reagan. Yes. Fuck all of them hoes. Fuck all of them. <laughs>